Hello there. My name is Asher Leamund, and welcome to the Spoon Drift Podcast. Here on the show, I talk about a lot. I just skim the surface of a giant ocean of information and capture the spoon drift. On today's episode, I'm going to talk about the James Webb Telescope's upcoming research targets, as well as how artificial intelligence is being used to identify whales. Let's begin with the James Webb Space Telescope. The James Webb Space Telescope was launched into space late last year and has been working its way towards the operational phase. According to an article released by NASA, it recently completed its mirror alignment, which was a major landmark in its progress to actually conducting research. At this point, it's positioned at its proper Sun-Earth Lagrange point, or LP2 as they call it, and like I mentioned, all the mirrors are aligned and set up. Now the next step is to do a couple of test images. Those images will involve taking pictures of really bright stars, and that's not typically what's going to be the target of the Webb telescope. But these images will be used to test all of the optical sensors and all the equipment on the telescope itself. They're going to make sure that the telescope is in the right position, it's, it's got the proper alignment, it's structurally sound, all the optical systems are good. And once that happens, once these images prove to be a success, the commissioning phase, where they're getting everything set up, will officially be over. And that will mark the transition from the commissioning phase into the operational phase, where it's actually doing the research that it was intended to do. Once it reaches the operational phase and it's deemed in its operational status, two targets that the Webb Telescope will be looking at are two exoplanets, one called 55 Cancri E, and then the second one, LHS 3844b. Now these are both exoplanets that were discovered a while ago and that people, scientists, and people in general want to know a little bit more about. Let's start with the discussion of the 55 Cancri E. I feel like I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's spelled C-A-N-C-R-I. I don't want to say Cancri. That just doesn't quite sound right. But I'm going to go with Cancri E. It was discovered back in August of 2004 and is an extremely hot super-Earth. A couple of details about its orbit. It orbits a sun-like planet star, which is called 55 Cancri E. A, and this exoplanet orbits 1.5 million miles away from the star. One complete orbit around the star takes about 18 hours. Now, that is an orbit around the star, so essentially a year for this planet is a mere 18 hours, which is kind of wild. The diameter of this planet is about double the diameter of Earth, and its mass is about 8.63 times the mass of Earth. So it's pretty massive and it moves pretty fast around the star. Now what's so interesting about this random exoplanet? It's believed to have oceans of lava. <laughs> that is to say it has a super hot surface. A bit more detail on this heat on the surface. It's believed to be tidally locked. The planet is believed to be tidally locked. Tidally locked is a term used to characterize orbits that have synchronized. In the case 
of the earth and the moon, for example, because the earth and moon are characterized as tidally locked. What that means is that the moon rotates around its own axis in the same period of time that the moon takes to rotate around earth. A consequence of this is that the same side of the moon always faces the earth. One orbit of the moon takes one month. One orbit of the moon around the earth also takes one month. In the context of this planet and this star, if they are tidally locked as it's orbiting the star, that would mean that the side facing the star would constantly be being heated up. And it would mean that this side of the planet facing the sun would get significantly warm. <laughs> Let's put this even more simply. With the Earth and the Moon, if the Moon goes around the Earth and the same side of the Moon faces the Earth, no big deal. The whole Moon gets heated up as it's moving around the Earth and different parts of the Moon are facing the Sun at different times. But with this planet being tidally locked, not with another planet or with a Moon, but with a Sun, that starts to create problems. Because being tidally locked with a star means that the same side of the planet is always facing the star. And that means that the heat from the sun, or from the star that is orbiting, is always being exposed to the same surface of the planet. So that is going to mean that one location, one side of the planet, is going to get really hot. <laughs> However, data from... NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope suggests that the hottest region of the planet is not always the region that's closest to the star, which suggests that there's something else going on. If the hottest part of the planet isn't the part that's facing the sun, what causes this shift of heat? That's the question that we're hoping to be able to solve using the Webb Telescope. A couple of theories regarding this tidal relationship one could be there's an extremely thick and dynamic atmosphere that allows heat to be able to shift around and move across the planet's surface. Another theory, maybe the planet isn't tidally locked, but in, is instead more like Mercury in its orbit. And Mercury has this orbit where it goes around its own axis three times for every two orbits around the star. So it's not quite a one-to-one -one relationship of orbits around its own axis versus orbits around its star. That would explain why this hottest part shifts a little bit away from the side of the planet facing the sun. This would also cause the surface to heat up, melt, and vaporize. And that is the surface of the planet, as in the rock, would <laughs> heat up, melt, and vaporize causing it to actually rain lava. Imagine that. That is just the wildest thing. That's like worse than acid rain. Molten rock coming down from the sky. That's the, the stuff of nightmares right there. Some of the instrumentation that's on the Webb telescope that might allow us to analyze this exoplanet specifically, as well as the other one, and many more, include two instruments, the first of which being the near-infrared camera, or the NIRCAM, which will enable us to observe heat emitted from a celestial body, and then the other one 
is the mid-infrared instrument, or the MIRI. Now, the use of this instrument would be to view the thermal emission spectrum from the day side of a planet. By looking at the emission spectrum specifically, you could look at more than just, say, the heat signature, but also you would be able to glean information from that as to what materials the actual planet is made up of, because different materials emit a different spectra of light. Different rocks would emit a different spectra. And by knowing what different types of rock emit, whenever we're looking at the spectra of a specific planet, we can go, oh yeah, that's made of granite, or that's made of sandstone. We would be able to identify which rock type is on the surface of the planet. And that's how we could use these two pieces of equipment to analyze an exoplanet and understand how its atmosphere is working, how the heat distribution on the surface looks like, what different materials are on the planet. Now for more details on the second exoplanet, the LHS 3844b is located about 49 light years away from us, and it orbits a red dwarf star, referred to as LHS 3488. And it makes one orbit around the red dwarf in a mere 11 hours. So it is whipping around this star pretty quickly. And a red dwarf star, just to provide some background on that, is a star that is a lot cooler than stars that we're more familiar with, like the sun. So a red dwarf star, a little bit cooler than what we're used to. And that's what this planet is orbiting around. Now, Spitzer data, which is data from that other telescope we mentioned before, suggests that there is no atmosphere on LHS 3844. But as with 55 Cancer E, we will be able to use the near-infrared camera and the mid-infrared instrument on the Webb telescope to better understand what the atmosphere is made up of, what the surface is made up of, and in generally and in general, just to understand more about this exoplanet. Both of these exoplanet studies or targets of the web will be a part of what is called the Cycle 1 General Observer Program, which is the first operational phase of the Webb Telescope, where scientists can submit research proposals to NASA and have the web directed toward a certain thing, a certain celestial body, a region, you name it. They can make a proposal as to what the web can study, and then if approved, then they can collect data and information about that proposal, about that subject, and then be able to do more analysis on it. And that phase, the Cycle 1 observe, General Observer Program, is what the Webb Telescope will be entering as soon as it hits operational status here pretty soon. Now to artificial intelligence. I found an article from NPR. It was actually a transcript from one of NPR's podcasts, The Morning Edition, which I found fascinating. This podcast was about how artificial intelligence is being employed to better understand where different whales are in the ocean. Now, who's involved in this project? First, we have Elizabeth Ferguson, who's the CEO and founder of Ocean Science Analytics, which is a company that's doing a lot of well, analytics, so data processing and gathering from the ocean in order to better understand its makeup, its condition, all the things about the ocean. And then someone else involved in this project is Kevin Coffey. Kevin Coffey is a behavioral neuroscience at the University of Washington. 
at face value, these two people seem to be in very different fields doing very different things. But as it turns out, there is a common thread through their research. Ferguson, as we mentioned, has that ocean monitoring company. She helps organizations. One application that's named in the podcast specifically is looking at offshore wind farms. Whenever you're doing anything in the ocean, it's important to understand how whatever you're doing impacts the marine life surrounding it. And offshore wind farms apparently is one application that ocean science analytics is looking at. So they'll monitor the ocean conditions surrounding an offshore wind farm and collect data to better understand if marine mammals are being harmed or not. And that keep in mind that this is out in the ocean. So how, how do you efficiently collect data about the ocean and analyze it? What if you put sensors out there, it's going to generate a lot of information. And how do you glean meaningful information from this raw data? Now shifting a little bit over to coffee, who the behavioral neuroscience, he studies the sounds that mice make. Now, apparently <laughs> it's pointed out that mice make different sounds depending on whether or not they're stressed or not, which I guess kind of makes sense. Humans do the same thing, and I imagine most animals do. So he and his group, they're studying the sounds that mice make, and they point out how this project often amounts to a lot of time spent listening to audio and having someone sit for hours upon hours listening and identifying whenever there's a stressed sound that's created or an unstressed sound that's created in order to build up connections between the audio sound and the condition of the mouse. In order to expedite that process, what they decided to do was employ artificial intelligence. In order to speed up the sound analysis part, they would turn the audio signal into an image using a program, and then using deep learning, they would analyze the audio image or the image of the audio and classify the sound that way by identifying a pattern in the visuals of the sound, they could automate the process of doing the sound analytics. And you might be putting it together now. We have someone who's looking at ocean data, namely some of the sounds that are present under the ocean. And then we have someone who's able to do this automatically, but with mice. Now you put these two people together, let's use this artificial intelligence in order to identify the sounds created by whales or other mammals in the ocean. And that's what they did. Ferguson repurposed Coffee's program to analyze sounds from the ocean. In the discussion they were having on the podcast, they pointed out how they used this program, which by the way, Coffee, it, he has named this program aptly Deep Squeak. <laughs> Deep is a, it's a word they use a lot in a lot of artificial intelligence programs. I mean, deep learning, <laughs> that's one of the terms used generically for this sort of program. But they called this one Deep Squeak because they were able to automatically, using artificial intelligence, identify the difference between different squeak sounds created by mice. So Deep Squeak, Ferguson was able to repurpose Deep Squeak in order to analyze sounds coming from the ocean. They talked about looking at 2.5 hours of audio from off the coast of Oregon and identified marine mammal sounds. And Ferguson said the program did a pretty good job. And there at the end of the podcast, they jokingly said, uh, 
well, they seriously said that Ferguson and Ocean Science Analytics was looking to rename their modified version of Deep Squeak. They were looking to name it Deep Wave. And then those of the podcast jokingly <laughs> said that that name wasn't quite up to snuff. He's like, you're going to keep it Deep Wave or you're going to come up with another one? I don't know what the, the outcome of that will be. But deep Wave seems kind of cool. Maybe there could be something else connected to whales or to under to ocean mammals specifically. Deep mammal. I don't know. I looked up this ocean science analytics, and they have a number of pretty interesting projects going on. They have one, of course, looking at acoustical data from under the ocean, which we've kind of touched on here. Another project that's looking to use sound data in order to characterize porpoise density estimates. That's pretty cool. And then another one looking at the influence of warm water on marine mammal habitats. And in order to do that, they'll use information, use data describing environmental variables and vocal foraging activities. So there again, they're looking and using the audio from under the ocean in order to better understand it, which I think is fascinating. And one more project they have going is monitoring coastal and offshore ecosystems as a part of NASA's PACE mission. And NASA's PACE mission stands for, the PACE is actually an acronym or (laughs) an initialism that stands for Plankton Aerosol Cloud and Ocean Ecosystem Mission. And this mission is meant to help understand the distribution of plankton and algal species and how those impact coastal and offshore ecosystems. This company's got a lot going on, a lot of very data-driven projects that I find really fascinating. I hope to hear more great things coming from Ocean Science Analytics. In this week's music update, I'm looking forward to the release of Post Malone's new album, 12 Carat Toothache, and that one, um, a rather sudden drop, if you ask me. I just learned of it within a couple of days of the release of this podcast. Uh, So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I didn't know it was coming. (laughs) Memphis Mayfire's new album, Remade in Misery, and Arlie's new album, Break the Curse. Now for my music picks. First, Good Boy Gone Bad by Tomorrow X Together, Korean Pop. And by the way, I just realized Tomorrow X Together, I'd always thought it was kind of weird with the X in the middle. I'm like, well, maybe this is some Korean thing. And then I realized how it's abbreviated. Tomorrow X Together would be abbreviated TXT, like text. Yeah, sometimes I'm slow. Next, Stupid by Hyo, or H-Y-O, Korean Pop. Second, also by Hyo, this one is featuring BB, Korean Pop. Story by MJ, Korean Pop. Falling for You by Slippy, featuring Ace Aura, English Dance. Hit Me Up by Min, featuring Jimin, J-M-I-N. Korean R&B, Chaotic by Tate McRae, English Pop. Mad by King Daniel, featuring Chancellor, Korean Pop. Triangle by Ghost9, Korean Pop. And finally, Headache by Heart of Gold, English Alternative. 
And there we have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Spoon Drift. If you want to listen to the music that I talked about, you can check out my Spotify profile, The Spoon Drift Podcast, and find The Spoon Drift Season 3, Episode 15 playlist. For more episodes of The Spoon Drift, you can visit Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spinnaker Radio's home on the web, radio.unfspinnaker.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to find The Spoon Drift on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Spoon Drift Pod, that's at Spoon Drift Pod, or on Instagram at Spoon Drift Podcast. That's Spoon Drift Podcast. And there we go. Sweet noodles.